Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are finishing Persuasion with chapters 22 to 24. The grand finale! (laughs) (laughs) Lots of thoughts. Yes, and we're joined by our extra special guest, Kristen Smith. (laughs) Hello. Hi. Hi, welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) We wanted to, before we get started, ask you if you had any thoughts on the last section since you couldn't be with us for Mrs. Smith and, you know, the whole uh, concert, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think what struck me most about those chapters this time through, I said the last time I was here that I was interested in thinking about Mrs. Smith some more because she always seemed like such a strange character to me. I don't know if that's just because we never hear her called by her first name. So it's always just Mrs. Smith. Maybe that's why she stands out. I don't know. But yeah, I think I was struck by what we get to see in those chapters is Anne showing that she's willing to do what's right, even against what other people try to convince her to do. Even, well, she didn't really care about her family, but (laughs) basically she's doing the right thing she's doing the right thing despite what other people say so we see her doing what she's how do I explain (laughs) I don't know how to express it not being persuaded I guess is where I was going with that (laughs) right (laughs) not being persuaded to do the wrong thing so she's really acting in an independent way she's not being persuaded she's being very adult yeah and Yeah, so I think that's mostly what I was struck with. Mrs. Smith as a character, I think I liked her more this time. So in the adaptation that I like, I don't like their interpretation of Mrs. Smith. You guys can see what you think when you get there, but she's very- Amanda Root adaptation? Yes, yeah. So that Mrs. Smith, there's a lot of like laughing all the time. And it's not, it doesn't seem like the kind of laughing that Mrs. Smith in the book would do where, you know, they say she's cheerful and, you know, uh, she's sort of overcome her problems Mm -hmm. psychologically and emotionally in the adaptation. It's it's just laughing for no reason. So I think that's maybe tainted my, the way I imagine Mrs. Smith in the book. So I liked her more this time. She seemed a little more reasonable, (laughs) (laughs) attractive as a character. So yeah. Yeah, we talked about how she just kind of comes out of nowhere and kind of drops a bunch of info. (laughs) True. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Yeah, we had um, maybe thought because Jane didn't have the same kind of like time frame to go back and edit and maybe add some stuff with this novel as she did with her others that maybe she would have probably seen the same things that we came to and maybe we would have maybe had more of an understanding of Mrs. Smith as a character if we had some maybe dialogue or interactions with her in the beginning when they're in school. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had said that maybe the way I interpreted her kind of arrival and her purpose was to kind of either give us a glimpse into maybe what the old Anne quote unquote was like, um, because Mm -hmm. we have that kind of a line from Wentworth in the beginning saying that he doesn't even recognize Anne anymore. And, you know, I initially thought it was maybe more of like a salty kind of like, he's just kind of feeling a certain way about seeing her again. Um, Mm -hmm. But then we learned that he's been in love with her this whole time. And I guess you could like, you you could definitely say that she was kind of acting different than when they were first together. Like she's 
much more timid. She's kind of reserved. She's like depressed almost. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing her at the end with Mrs. Smith kind of like almost reverting back to maybe like she is more confident in herself. And she is like, like you said, not being persuaded by other people's opinions. She's trusting her own judgment. And so it's kind of like this return back to before the heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Should we go ahead and start getting into this? Or do we have, should we do, uh, we should probably do first impressions for this section. This section. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Does anyone want to start? I really liked the ending. Definitely felt very different than her other novels. And whether that's due to her not having enough time to go back and edit and maybe add some things or do something differently. Maybe we could say that, but I feel like it was just slightly different in the way that she wrapped up everyone's storyline. And it wasn't as maybe, I don't want to say neat, because that's not maybe the right word I'm looking for, but it just, and not rushed, but in a way it was just kind of like, almost like a closed ending rather than an open ending. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. I feel like the end of her books always kind of feel like it was like climax and about this much wrap up and we just kind of <laughs> right. give a funny quip for everybody and what they're doing in life. Mm-hmm. And this one doesn't have so much of the funny uh, wrap ups of all the characters, but right, there's a little bit. Yeah. yeah we, we get some wrap up, but it's, it's not, like you said, it's not as funny. It's not as comical. It's more... I don't know. It seems to me, it seems in keeping with their characters, um, Mm -hmm. almost like they're real people. And, you know, this is what they're going to go on to, but it's not cute in the way that some of the other ones, some of the other novels end in a cute way. Yeah. Right. I wonder how much of that is because the narrator and Anne are so closely aligned and it's hard to tell when one is talking, like when is it an omniscient narrator and when is it Anne? And so maybe it would be a lot more out of character for the narrator of this book to do that because she's so close to Anne. And since Anne wouldn't, you know, <laughs> right. go around and being like, oh, this person did this because blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of like got more of a sense of it was like more of like a serious, like you said, not really comedic, nothing witty about it. But I almost feel like in a way, I mean... You know, I don't know the exact state of her health other than that she was not in great health. And she started writing Sanditon, you know, after finishing this draft, I guess you could say, of this one. But it almost felt like a final ending to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe she was kind of like aware that, you know, maybe she won't get better and this might be her last book and that she might want to just kind of wrap up this entire like Jane Austen universe in a way, <laughs> if you could say it that way with um, this kind of like- The J-A-U? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it just felt like more like like final to me, which and I really liked that aspect of it. It just felt really comfortable. Mm. Yeah. I just, I feel like there's more, we're left with more characters that we kind of care about. There's all the, there's Harville and his family. There's the Musgroves and they're 20 kids. There's um, <laughs> Benick and Louisa. I mean, there's all these people, the Crofts, all these people we care about. And so we're kind of invested in where they are going in the future. And we know, uh, at least we know, and also Austin's readers would have known by the time it was published that they were going back to war, at least briefly after this period. So we kind of 
we sort of know as readers where they're going and they don't know, but there's all these people that we've learned to care about. You know, we don't care about the Elliot so much anymore, but all the friends that Anne has made, it just seems yeah. like a big group to me. Like it feels to me like at the end of Pride and Prejudice, you've got Darcy and Lizzie, they go off, you know, on their own, Jane and, and Bingley, um, more or less go off on their own. It's kind of a coupling, right? You care about the couples. Right. But here I feel, maybe it's just me, but I feel like Anne and Wentworth are in the midst of this whole big group of people. And mm -hmm. I kind of care about the whole group as they move forward. Yeah. So that feels different to me too. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was going to say for my first impression of these mm. chapters is it's just such a relief to have Uppercross come back. You know, it's like they all moved to Bath and it kind of, uh, you know, like Anne has this thing that she's going to do at the beginning of these chapters, which is go tell Lady Russell all that she learned. But like she keeps getting distracted by all this upper crust stuff. And by the time she actually tells her, she's already like engaged and, you know, there's like it's it's so not important, which I guess is kind of a theme of this book is like what is actually important and what do you build up to be important? And then, because yeah. I think we talked about that last time you were on. And yeah, this is just another example of it where she's like, oh my God, this, <laughs> I have to tell Lady Russell because this is such crazy news. And then by the time she tells her, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, he sucks, by the way. <laughs> I, I have realized, especially on the last group of chapters, that there is this through line in this novel of the importance of having like emotional support um, mm -hmm. because we have the beginning where she loses her mother and she has Mrs. Smith as support to kind of help her get through that time. And then she meets Wentworth and that falls apart and then she has no one. And so she kind of has this extended like depression state you could say because Lady Russell who is supposed to be kind of like her mother figure now is kind of responsible in a way for that falling apart. And so she doesn't really have anyone to confide in. And so I think the way it wraps up with having this big group of people together, it's almost like this is like her chosen family yeah. in a way, if you could say. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I think she that's found really her people. good. <laughs> yeah, really good and insight. so I like the community aspect of it where it's, it's almost like, you know, in the other kind of stories where we have just these two people going off and that's just their story. It's kind of like we have this, we ha have an understanding that these people are always going to be involved in each other's lives, which is kind of like a really happy ending in a way. Yeah. Yeah. She got all those friends that she was so sad that she's like, they could have all been my friends, but now they all are. <laughs> <laughs> no more playing the piano by myself. <laughs> Well, today, instead of notes, we are we have a quiz. But I was wondering, do you think we should do it at the end? Um, we can, if you like. Kind of wrap it up all up. Yeah. So should we just go straight into the recap and we'll do the quiz at the end? Sure. Sounds good. Okay. Getting into the recap then. Huh, okay, so chapter 22. Okay, Anne leaves Mrs. Smith's house. She's very glad that she now knows the truth. And she wishes, she wants to like run and tell her family, but she knows that she can't because they won't listen to her. <laughs> and she's like, but I can tell Lady Russell. And she's very excited to do that. 
it kind of seems like she's assuming Lady Russell will like take care of it and make sure all the family knows. She's like, I can't tell them. They won't listen to me. But if I tell Lady Russell, she can make sure everyone knows the truth. That's just the impression I got from reading it. Luckily, she missed Mr. Elliot when she gets back home, but learned that he's coming back soon. (laughs) Elizabeth still thinks that he's courting her somehow, (laughs) which is why I'm like, okay, Elizabeth, delusional. (laughs) Well, clearly Mrs. Clay is telling her that he's courting her. Because it says that he gave so many hints. So Mrs. Clay says at least. So I feel like Mrs. Clay is like, he's into you. He's into you. Yeah. And, oh yeah, Mrs. Clay also, she's like, Anne is observing her and thinking she seems surprisingly like languid about him considering that he's got to be interfering with her plans to, you know, mm-hmm. marry Sir, Sir Walter. But Anne reading body language again. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a surprise how nefarious Mrs. Clay is. I feel like that's another kind of plot point that we kind of get all of a sudden that I like, though. Um, I don't know how, I mean, I think she wants to get married to Sir Walter, but, and she obviously knows how to like flatter people to mm -hmm. get what she wants. But like, I don't feel like that that's such a horrible goal. (laughs) No, I think (laughs) her. He's a single man. (laughs) Yeah. Like, well, I mean, like her intentions aren't as nefarious as Mr. Elliot's, I would say, but the idea that she's this whole time telling Elizabeth that he's courting her, but she's actually sort of had this backup plan with him, but then is also yeah. trying to get Sir Walter so that she can have, you know, a place, I guess you could say in society. So it's like, she's got all these, like, she's pulling all these strings, which is so like, you think of Mrs. Clay as just kind of like this yeah. lame kind of weird character that just kind of follows everyone. Is she like a grown up Lucy Steele? <laughs> <laughs> totally is. Kind of, yeah. She's so really crazy. smart. Yeah. And has no scruples about saying anything that'll get her what she wants. Mm-hmm. Like maybe she killed her husband. <laughs> <laughs> All these murderers. <laughs> I'm making everyone in this book a murderer. <laughs> okay. Anne now kind of hates the sight of Mr. Elliot. <laughs> Every single thing he does, she finds odious, but she doesn't really want to attract attention, so she tries not to show it. She is determined to stop all flirting, though. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a great object to her to escape all inquiry or eclat, which I was, I put a question mark by the word. I was like, I don't even know what that word means or how to pronounce it. E C L A T. My book says it means public sensation or notice, scenes that would attract notice. So kind of like public displays of affection. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it was her intention to be as decidedly cool to him as might be compatible with their relationship and to retrace (laughs) as quietly as she could the few steps of unnecessary intimacy she had been gradually led along. She was accordingly more guarded and more cool than she had been the night before. (laughs) (laughs) Which honestly, it felt like she was already headed in that direction after Mr. Elliot did his kind of half proposal-ish intention declaring Mm -hmm. the night before. She was like, oh, well, I better stay away from him. But now that she really knows the truth, she's like, oh, God, I can't even stand to be in the same room with you. (laughs) She's very embarrassed for her father and sister that they could be played by so many people so easily. (laughs) (laughs) 
She would rather Mrs. Clay marry her father, though, if it meant she never had to see Mr. Elliot again. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, he's going out of town for two days, supposedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Anne is ready to go see Lady Russell and fill her in the next day. I said, her sister is so dang rude and so Sir Wal so is Sir Walter, really, when sending their respects along. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... I think this is like at this point, isn't this when they're like they make fun of the way she's dressing now and saying yeah, yeah, she's yeah. not good looking anymore, which you know, typical, but it's just funny that Anne's like, I gotta tell her so maybe she'll tell them and they can realize it. It's like they don't respect her anymore. They're already like too snobby for her now that right. they've got a new set of attractive backstabbing friends. Right. <laughs> And she's just about to walk out the door when who should arrive but Mary and Charles. <laughs> Surprise. Charles tells her the whole tale of how he and Mary and Harville and Henrietta and Mrs. Musgrove all ended up coming to Bath. <laughs> it was originally supposed to be just the boys, but Mary had a FOMO fit. And since Henrietta <laughs> needed wedding clothes, they decided to make a whole trip of it. <laughs> <laughs> For Mary's sake. Yeah, well, Mrs. Musgrove was like, it's not worth listening to her scream. Let's just go. <laughs> <laughs> I said, side note, when Charles Musgrove is talking about Charles Hayter, it is too confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Hayter got a new job at a really nice parish, and it made the couple secure enough to get married. And Anne loves that the Musgroves aren't too fussy about who their daughters marry and is happy for the girls. Supposedly, Louisa is now very quiet, and Benick is very attentive. And um, Benick and Charles went out rat hunting and bonded. <laughs> okay, very interesting. We went for a rat hunt. We got along. <laughs> Mary is in a great mood. Surprise, Elizabeth. Yeah, she got what she wanted, and now she's with her family. She's center of attention. <laughs> Elizabeth has this internal debate over whether to invite them to dinner. <laughs> She's like too vain to show that they don't have as many servants as they used to. So she decides not to and to invite them to a small party instead. <laughs> I put a rolling eye emoji when I wrote the politics of polite society in Regency England. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I love best about Jane Austen, like out of the things that she writes are when she writes a scene where somebody's talking themselves into doing something that they know isn't right. So this is one of those scenes where she, she knows what she's supposed to do and she just totally talks herself into what she actually wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> There's the scene at the beginning of Sense and Sensibility with John and Fanny Dashwood is the same kind of oh, scene. Yeah. I love those. <laughs> They're so smart and funny. <laughs> yeah. And it's really interesting to know like, it's not because she doesn't think that they're cool enough. It's that she's embarrassed because she doesn't have as fancy of a ability to give them dinner as she used to. So she's like, well, we'll just play cards with some friends. So she totally knows. <laughs> she knows. She knows that she's like screwed up her life. Yeah. She's going to yeah. completely ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the weird thing of the dichotomy of her realizing that they, she can't impress them with as much money as they have anymore, but also thinking of them as lower than her and not as high society. And <laughs> it's like, I don't think I wonder, they would care. 
<laughs> I was just wondering what would happen to Elizabeth, you know, when Sir Walter died. And I was thinking, I wonder if she does kind of secretly want Mrs. Clay to marry her father since she thinks that they're best friends. Like, maybe that would help her out? Because what does she do when her father dies? I mean, I assume she has some money that she inherits, but, like, she totally loses her place in society, right? I don't know. So she should be... I think it says that Anne was supposed to get 10,000 pounds. Is that right? At the end? Or yeah. part of 10,000 pounds. I don't remember which. So Elizabeth will get the same. That won't last yeah. her long. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, it, it's yeah. supposed to give like a modest, like you're supposed to be very comfortable for the rest of your life, but you're not supposed to be rich. But and she we know she's got to be past her bloom. <laughs> <laughs> her first bloom of youth. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Anne figures telling Lady Russell can wait for a day. So she goes to hang out with the upper cross folks. So she goes to like to the inn where they're all staying and they basically all claim Anne as soon as she comes in and invite her to spend every minute of every day with them while they're there. (laughs) (laughs) She immediately falls into her old routines of listening to everyone and being all around helpful. And before you know it, the gang's all there and that includes Wentworth. (laughs) (laughs) Anne is ready to work on their relationship, but he's all sullen and aloof again. Lord. And Anne thinks, can we not grow up and out of this being misled by every moment's inadvertence? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, well, I mean, I'm glad you had the turnaround, but you, you know, you just had it. So don't be so judgmental. (laughs) Don't lose it right away. (laughs) But I get it. I get it. (laughs) And then Mary at the window cries out that she's seen Mrs. Clay talking to Mr. Elliot out the window. And Anna's like, no, he's gone for two days. (laughs) and Wentworth gives her a look and she regrets speaking at all (laughs) and I put is Wentworth abusive (laughs) not that he is but like that's just the kind of reaction like someone gives you a look and you're like I regret ever having opened my mouth and it's like that feels like an abuse victim (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just like he probably is she knows he's reading in too much to everything so he's like why do you know his intimate travel details and I guess you are really engaged and you'll never love me again I know, I know. Just the way it was written was very like, hmm, this feels <laughs> very modern. Curious <laughs> and striking. Well, I, I could see how some similarities might be there in that she is like hyper aware of what she thinks he's thinking. And, and I could see that how that might be a similar situation yeah. to somebody who is in an abusive relationship where yeah. you're just, you have to be super aware, I guess, of, you know, Every where they're, yeah. Yeah. But I think in this case, it's supposed to be because she's in love with him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so all the ladies in the room exchange glances like they're all in on this secret love of Anne and Mr. Elliot. And she doesn't even want to go look out the window. She's like, I don't even want to (laughs) see. But she does and sees that, yes, it really was him. And she's curious as to why those two would be friendly when really they should be rivals. And then Charles comes in telling everyone that he got a box for the play for tomorrow. But Mary reminds him that they're supposed to have a party with her parents. (laughs) (laughs) And Charles at first is very ornery about it. He's like, I don't care about a stupid party. They could have asked me to dinner if they actually cared about me. (laughs) (laughs) Well. (laughs) And he's like, besides, I never promised. I only smirked and bowed. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what's funny? So I know that Charles is just doing this to mess with his wife, but he's the one here who's like preaching good manners to <laughs> like, well, he's the one preaching good manners in this situation. Like yeah. Walter Elliott should should have done this and he's right. So but he's a musgrove. Yeah. He didn't really care. <laughs> <laughs> He'd rather not go anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he because yeah, I think he says, I also really don't care about meeting him, <laughs> Mr. Elliot. <laughs> and Wentworth's ears perk up. And Anne is observing that his ears perked up. <laughs> There's so much like watching out of the corner of the eye while all this other action and talk is going on. Luckily, Mrs. Musgrove is the best and convinces them to change the night of the play because it would be no fun without Anne anyways. <laughs> she really is. She and Mrs. Jennings just like hang out with them all the time. They're awesome. Yes. She's also the one who was like, yeah, let's just all go to Bath. So we don't need That's to true. have Mary be upset. <laughs> <laughs> Anne says if she could, she would skip the party herself and she would much rather go to the play with them. <laughs> She's being very conscious of being listened to by Wentworth. <laughs> <laughs> Wentworth consciously, casually, not so casually, finds a way to stand right next to Anne. <laughs> <laughs> And he asks her if she still hates cards. And she says, I haven't really changed that much. <laughs> <laughs> and he says that eight and a half years is a period. <laughs> <laughs> and then Henrietta wants to go out. She, as soon as they start talking, it's like, no, we all have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be torn apart. Before they, those two lovebirds can collect themselves, though, uh, Sir Walter and Elizabeth arrive, or I guess before the party can collect themselves to leave, Sir Walter and Elizabeth arrive, and a chill falls over the room. <laughs> <laughs> They've come to officially invite them all to the party. And even Wentworth is greeted well and smiled at and given a card as an invitation. And just as quickly, they depart. <laughs> <laughs> I like how plainly... The narrator is states how the minute they enter the room, they ruin the entire vibe. Yeah. It's just like they're like immediately they enter the room and everyone is upset. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like, I don't know. It just if they had any more fun to the I mean, they got dressed up and came over with their cards to make a big grand thing of inviting mm -hmm. all these people because you know, even though they're not doing their technical duty by having them to dinner, they're still inviting them all to this thing. Right. And, you know, if they were just a little less obnoxious and a little more chill, they could have been, you know, a friend, like, like all of our friends. Right. <laughs> and had a good time, but no, <laughs> they have to be snobs. Wentworth seems kind of astonished and not exactly pleased to now be so acceptable to the Elliots. <laughs> and is a little vexed. The women and men split up and go their separate ways. And Anne decides she better just go home and have a nice think to herself. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go introvert for a while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, when she gets home, she has to listen to Elizabeth and Mrs. Clay drone on about the party and whether Wentworth will show up. When Anne realizes Mrs. Clay wouldn't mention it, she point pointedly asks about seeing her and Mr. Elliot that morning and can see the guilt pass over her face for a second. Mm -hmm. CSI and Elliot. <laughs> Can't hide anything. 
And Mrs. Clay is like, oh, that's just a random coinkydink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, chapter 23. The next morning, Anne decides again to put off telling Lady Russell because she has to spend the whole day with the Upper Cross clan. <laughs> it's raining, so she gets there late. Mary and Henrietta are already out. And Wentworth and Harville are there, but they have to write some letter as soon as Anne walks in. The Crofts are there, and Mrs. Croft and Mrs. Musgrove are whispering about Henrietta's engagement. I said, well, mostly Mrs. Musgrove. Mrs. Croft just listens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Eventually, she declares she gave in and let them marry because she thought it was better than a long engagement. And Anne, of course, is like cringing to herself. (laughs) (laughs) But Mrs. Croft thinks it's better to wait if the future is uncertain. Anne holds her breath, and Wentworth stops writing and looks at Anne. And everyone continues as they were, but Harville motions Anne over to chat. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Croft is Anne's secret uh, defender for her position. Supporter. (laughs) (laughs) Unknowing supporter. Okay, so Harville and, uh, and Anne are talking. He shows her a picture of Bennick. It was commissioned for his sister before she died. And now it's being reframed for Louisa. I think that's what they're writing the letters about. Harville is a little broken up by it because he thinks that his sister wouldn't have forgotten Bennick so soon. And Anne believes it. She says, it would have been, it would have been the nature of any woman who truly loved. <laughs> and I said, I'm so tempted to write out this whole conversation, but I'll try to, try to sum it up instead. <laughs> <laughs> Because this is such a great conversation Mm -hmm. and such a major turning point. Anne thinks that since women's lives are so confined that their feelings prey upon them more. And Harville disagrees and thinks that since young men are so strong and manly that their feelings are stronger. (laughs) And Anne says, well, it's because you are so much stronger that you wouldn't be able to take it if your feelings were as strong as ours. (laughs) (laughs) Flattery. (laughs) (laughs) And they agree to disagree. Wentworth drops his pen at this point and distracts them. (laughs) (laughs) Harville wants to know if he finished the letter. Not quite. He's too distracted with his eavesdropping. Mm -hmm. Uh, Harville turns back to Anne and he says he could prove his point by a hundred examples in books. And Anne says, men have had every advantage of us in telling their own story education has been theirs in so much higher a degree the pain has oh the pen the pen has been in their hands i will not allow books to prove anything <laughs> that's, that's awesome. such a great line <laughs> i love that line <laughs> and harville is like i want to make you believe how much men feel and she says i totally believe you <laughs> <laughs> she's like everything i've read is all about you <laughs> i would never think that men don't feel very strongly she only claims one thing for her sex, and it's not even very enviable. That that of loving the longest when existence or when hope is gone. And Harville calls her a good soul. Captain <laughs> <laughs> oh. Harville is so awesome. always in the adaptation. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's too good. I think in one of them, it's in the weirdly in the Bennett conversation. Oh, really? At Lyme. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, okay, Mrs. Croft has to leave, and so does Harville. 
and Wentworth grabs his letter and runs out the door without a goodbye. But a few seconds later, he comes back in to collect his gloves. <laughs> he and he grabs a letter he hid on the desk and gives it to Anne with a pointed look before running back out with no one save Anne the wiser. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's just like her and Miss Musgrove at this point. So mm -hmm. Anne sits right down at the desk he was just at and reads it. It's not a long letter, but it packs a punch. <laughs> okay, and I think I actually did write the entire letter, so <laughs> I'm just going to read it. Yeah, go. I can listen no longer in silence. I must speak to you by such means as are within my reach. You pierce my soul. I am half agony, half hope. Tell me not that I am too late, that such precious feelings are gone forever. I offer myself to you again with a heart even more your own than when you almost broke it eight years and a half ago. <laughs> Gotta add that half. <laughs> Dare not say that man forgets sooner than woman, that his love has an earlier death. I have loved none but you. Unjust I may have been, weak and resentful I have been, but never inconstant. Mm -hmm. You alone <laughs> have brought me to bath. For you alone, I think and plan. Have you not seen this? Can you fail to have understood my wishes? <laughs> I had not waited even these ten days could I have read your feelings, as I think you must have penetrated mine. I can hardly write. I am every instant hearing something which overpowers me. You sink your voice, but I can distinguish the tones of that voice when they would be lost on others. Too good, too excellent creature. You do us justice indeed. You do believe that there is true attachment and constancy among men. Believe it to be most fervent and undeviating in F.W. I must go, uncertain of my fate. But I shall return hither, or follow your party as soon as possible. A word, a look, will be enough to decide whether I enter your father's house this evening or never. <laughs> Yay! I love that letter. <laughs> the most romantic letter ever written. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> uh, it's so passionate and it's so like, have you not seen this that I love you? And it's like, well, I guess, I mean, she did see it. Yes. But you've been hiding it pretty damn good, Frederick Wilworth. <laughs> <laughs> you've been showing it, but then also avoiding her at the same time. <laughs> <sighs> so... Anne gets about 10 minutes to process this letter before Mary, Henrietta, and Charles all come in. Anne can barely listen to them. <laughs> she never changes in that way. <laughs> and she's like, I gotta leave. <laughs> <laughs> they all think she looks particularly ill and are worried. And they tried to like call a chair, but she won't have it. She knows she's probably going to run into like the, her whole point is she wants to go out and run into Wentworth. If she and she figures walking is the best chance because I think she said earlier she couldn't leave her house without seeing him <laughs> somewhere on the yes. street. So. <laughs> well, clearly she... Bath is, despite being a quote-unquote city, it's clearly like a small town because everybody knows everybody else's business. Because like yeah. these women who didn't even know her, Mrs. Musgrove's old friends, had heard the rumor about her and Mrs. Elliot. Right. So yeah. like everybody knows everybody's. Stuff. I just picture it like one long strip with like bathhouses on either side and a bunch of people just standing on the side like 
whispering under the breast about everyone who walks by. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look at the way gossip traveled uh, through like Nurse Rook and made its way all the way to even like the the Westgate houses that are supposed to yep, not Mrs. even be involved. Smith. Mrs. Smith is more informed than Anne by like a bajillion <laughs> miles. <laughs> okay, so... Oh, before Anne leaves, though, she wants everyone to make it especially known to Harville and <laughs> Wentworth that they are invited tonight. And they all reassure her. They're like, okay, they go. we'll tell them. <laughs> Calm down. And Charles insists on walking her home. Pretty soon, though, her and Charles hear Wentworth on their heels. <laughs> He's just like <laughs> hanging out outside, ready for them to walk out. And he just stares at Anne and she manages to blush and show him that he's very welcome. All it took was a look. And Charles is glad to go to the gun shop and leaves them. <laughs> and Anne and Wentworth find a quiet gravel walk to renew their love. There, there they exchanged again those feelings and those promises which had once before seemed to secure everything, but which had been followed by so many, many years of division and estrangement. There they returned again into the past, more exquisitely happy perhaps in their reunion than when it had first been projected. More tender, more tried, more fixed in a knowledge of each other's characters, truth, and attachment. More equal to act, more justified in acting. <laughs> I feel like we spent this whole book wondering about Will they get together? They finally get together, and it's like they're over there on that gravel walk, renewing their love. You can just watch them from afar. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is the time I want to be with Anne as the narrator. <laughs> yes, I want to hear every line. Okay, but we do actually get a little bit of this story from Whitworth's perspective now. Yes, of course, he had been jealous of Mister Elliot which is why he was acting so weird in Bath. Previously, he had tried to forget her and, mis and mistaken anger for indifference. When he got to Uppercross, he began to actually do her some justice. And at Lyme, he began to realize how superior she really was, especially compared to Louisa. <laughs> <laughs> and after the accident, he realized that everyone thought he and Louisa were engaged or soon would be. And he decided to leave town to try to lessen any affection she felt for him because he knew if she was really in love with him, he would have to marry her. <laughs> <laughs> and so he went to go see his brother, who, of course, knew about Anne. And when he heard that Finnick and Louisa were engaged, he was super happy and immediately left for Bath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just... First of all, it's crazy to me that he didn't realize that he was flirting so hardcore with Louisa that everyone thought they were going to get engaged. And then it's so kind of sense and sensibility with him being like, well, I guess I better leave town and make sure she doesn't <laughs> care about me that much, which feels very insensitive from a 21st century perspective. But right. I mean, it all worked out for the best. I guess Louisa probably didn't really love Wentworth anyway. I mean. Yeah. It's just that he was handsome and exciting and. Yeah. She was a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess recovering from 
like such a dramatic accident slash concussion or yeah. something. I mean, so whatever actually. Brain injury. <laughs> I don't know if it was just a concussion or if she cracked her skull. No, it seems like it's some major brain trauma if she immediately stopped breathing <laughs> and just laid there. Yeah, I was wondering how much of that was just like, you know, when you fall, sometimes you get the wind knocked out of you. Uh, but I think she was also unconscious, so. She was mm-hmm. unconscious for a few days. Oh, she, yeah, that's true. Yeah. She only barely opened her eyes. She may have gone into like a coma or something. I do know that a brain injury, if it's severe enough, it can alter your personality. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, totally in line with what I know about medical stuff, which isn't much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. He kept, okay, so we're talking about Wentworth and what he was thinking during this whole time. So, anyway, he kept remembering how Anne had turned down Charles, and he really hoped that it was for him that she had done it. And then he goes over each particular moment of jealousy of Mr. Elliot until Anne arrives back home. <laughs> <laughs> and when you sat next to him and when you talked to him on the way home. <laughs> and then I overheard those ladies talking about him. <laughs> uh, okay, so Anne is practically bouncing off the walls with happiness. And no, none of her family notices. <laughs> she, she does have a fear that she is too happy and it's all bound to come crashing down. <laughs> and I do understand that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but she does talk herself out of it. She's like, don't be silly. <laughs> and when everyone arrives that night, Anne is great. Everyone who would normally get on her nerves she thinks, pretty soon, I'll barely even have to think of you at all. <laughs> <laughs> she does avoid Mr. Elliot, though. <laughs> Good. So at this point, her and Wentworth haven't told anybody yet, but they are talking any chance they get. And she says that, uh, she does say, she thinks that she was right in taking Lady Russell's advice all those years ago. She's not sure it was the a good advice, but she thinks that she was right in taking it. She knows if she hadn't, she would have suffered even more greatly from a guilty conscience. And she also knows that he will like Lady Russell someday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That particular little paragraph, I felt a little conflicted about just Mm -hmm. because I'm like, are you sure you're right, Aunt? <laughs> it's a pretty bold declaration considering the rest of the events of this book <laughs> and where your brain has been at this whole time. I but, think, I feel like if she had had more support from anyone, just as like emotional support, I feel like she would have been in a much better position this entire book and she would not have been as like, it feels like almost on like the, the end of her life <laughs> as like in her 20s yeah so i could see maybe her in a way trying to reason with taking lady i think it's also really her just trying to be respectable again to lady russell it's like i don't know i don't know trying to soften her up in his eyes maybe well you know personally i do think she made the right choice in listening to lady russell i don't think she should have gotten engaged to him at 19 when he was going off to war no. for eight years you know that's Never my mind. personal view of the situation well yeah and mrs croft and miss yeah they said the same thing yeah yeah 
Because if he had gotten killed at sea and she had been just engaged to him and then yeah, she would have been even more depressed <laughs> and still probably not ever married. Okay, so he's not sure about that. She's like, I don't know if I'll go that far as to say that was the right thing to do. But he does now think that the person most to blame for their situation is himself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you agree with him, huh? <laughs> and he... Well, I mean, I mean, he goes to say, like, if I had written you, would, you know, when I, two years in, when I had actually had some success and got the asp, would you have accepted me? And she's like, of course I would have. <laughs> she's like, if you had written me a week later, I probably would have accepted you. And he says that that, knowing that, should help him forgive everyone sooner, knowing how his pride kept him from his own happiness. <laughs> And, you know, I, I do agree because really she tried to explain to him back in the day and he immediately blew up. It was like a mortifying conversation. She never heard from him again. And then when he comes back, he's all ignoring her and being a jerk and flirting with every other girl. And it's like, yeah, you came real close to not having (laughs) any happiness at all. So, yeah, I'm perfectly willing to put the blame on him. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's like, I think I said this last episode, the almost like the, the fault that Austin gave to Wentworth makes him one of my favorite heroes, just because he seems to be, I don't know, just like more relatable and more likable because he's more emotional and he's not as like domineering and like over trying to overpower her he's always trying to like submit himself to her and almost play like she's the one in charge i've been thinking he kind of reminds me of sydney from sanditon but like you know not as obnoxious but sydney he was so combative about everything because like he had had his heart broken once and I felt kind of parallels to Wentworth in that way. I don't think Wentworth was nearly as obnoxious about it. And, you know, he wasn't like going around yelling at people. And considering we never got to when, well, you know, and then Sydney, when he gets back together with that girl who was the one who broke his heart to begin with. Anyway, I was just thinking that there are some parallels between, I mean, I know Jane Austen didn't actually write the Sydney that we saw on Sanditon, but. I'm wondering if they didn't take a little bit of his character from Persuasion, from Wentworth. I could see that. And I guess you could also attribute his, his Sydney's ending to the fact that he was more a part of society than Wentworth was. That's true. Um, and having to have that like status and support his brother and to have money. And, you know, Wentworth didn't necessarily abide by those same rules and had the freedom to choose Anne in a way. Yeah. And you know what else I really like about this? Anne is really the one with the agency in this book. Like she refused him in the first place. She made sure they got back together. And it's refreshing because it's usually like, well, the woman kind of has to get married. So we're just trying to find the <laughs> best possible <laughs> guy. But this one feels like, no, Anne is making her decisions based on what's good for her and not like, forced by society standards or anything and 
in a way, Wentworth is kind of the one who acts like a an overly emotional like response to everything, and it's just nice. I like <laughs> that Anne basically is in yeah. charge of her life, right, whether yeah. she's making the right choices or the wrong choices. She's still the one making the choices. <laughs> okay, well, one more chapter. Okay, wrapping it up narrator style. <laughs> <laughs> When two people want to be wed, nothing can really stop them. (laughs) It's the narrator's observance. (laughs) So why should it not be so for Anne and Frederick, who frankly didn't really need anyone else's approval? (laughs) Luckily for them, they're met with very little resistance. (laughs) Sir Walter thinks Frederick is good looking, and since he's also rich and distinguished, (laughs) he officially writes the marriage up in the Baron Baron book, the book of books. Uh, Lady Russell has to do something hard, which is admit she was wrong about the characters of two different gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Elliot, she believed too quickly, and Frederick, she was willing to dismiss too quickly. She's not nearly as good at reading people as Anne, but since Anne's happiness is what's most important to her, she has to come around. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's good. Yeah. I mean, Lady Russell, she's kind of an antagonist, right? Because she said if uh, she gave Anne what turned out to be bad advice in the beginning. And she doesn't like our heroes. So she's kind of an antagonist, but she loves Anne. And I love that she's, you know, Anne's loved her this whole time. And we can see why. Yeah. It is. It is a real relationship. Yeah, definitely. Mary is super happy because she wants to give herself credit for the match. (laughs) (laughs) As long as Wentworth doesn't stumble into a baronetcy, uh, she'll never need to be jealous of Anne at all. <laughs> yeah, my my notes say that's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> that he could somehow stumble yeah. into it? <laughs> uh, yeah, because, let's see, it says uh, 1815. Uh, it's a realistic possibility because they were giving out baronet baronetcies as the reward of naval and mil- military merit. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I hope he gets one. <laughs> Although, not, not for Mary's sake, but... <laughs> yeah, Mary also likes that uh, Wentworth is richer than Binnick or Hayter. So, <laughs> her actual sister married better than her in-laws. When Mr. Elliot learns of the marriage, he leaves town with Mrs. Clay. At least that way he can keep her away from Sir Walter. Mrs. Clay thinks she can get Mr. Elliot to marry her... And so she can get her barren in a different way. (laughs) One way or another, I'm going to get that barren. The long haul. (laughs) It says, she has abilities, however, as well as affections. And it is now a doubtful point whether his cunning or hers may finally carry the day. (laughs) Whether after preventing her from being the wife of Sir Walter, he may not be wheedled and caressed at last, into making her the wife of Sir William. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think that maybe she will. (laughs) Me too. It's so funny that, I mean, clearly she has the upper hand because he has no idea that she's, like, scheming on the side to get with him. I think between Frederick, Anne, and Lady Russell, they can probably tarnish Mr. Elliot's name around town. Probably. And make it so that it's not so easy for him to get a advantageous marriage in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the last thing I have, Wentworth comes to love and value Lady Russell and Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith 
this is it's just so interesting that she becomes such an important part in like the very last mm-hmm. paragraphs of the book. But Mrs. Smith is the first to visit them at their new home. And Wentworth ends up helping her with her property problems. And she does improve some in her health. It doesn't say that she totally gets cured, but it says she improves some. His profession, the dread of a future of war, all that could dim her sunshine. So, yeah, she's so they're happy, but she's a little worried about a future war. Uh, But she gloried in being a sailor's wife. She must pay the tax of quick alarm for belonging to that profession, which is, if possible, more distinguished in its domestic virtues than in its national importance. Hmm. (laughs) It's her love letter to the Navy, man. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think that all the talk of Anne talking about how, oh, all these Navy guys could have been my friends right now. And uh, Jane was probably like, I love having all the Navy as my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like it's so interesting to think about the Navy and it's like history in England, because I think especially during colonial times, I think Eng- the English Navy was the most powerful like armed force in the world which is why they were able to colonize so much of the world. So I guess it's just like that persevering importance of it. And then the fact that they had two wars going on at the same time and then one right after that one ended. Yeah. I think um, Jane Austen must, I think she probably had a lot of male friends because if you think about it, when she grew up, her house was kind of like a boarding house or like a school almost for all these boys. Mm-hmm. She had a million brothers. She clearly liked Navy officers and people in the Navy. And I know she never got married, but it feels like she probably had a lot of really good male friends. Mm-hmm. Is that, do you think so? Yeah. I feel like. I think it's possible because... You know, I just have this feeling that because she seems to have imbued so much of herself in Anne, that I wonder if there's like, you know, some sort of like inkling of truth towards like the love story aspect. And maybe Jane had some sort of like fling or at some point in her life that she never really made public or never really wrote about because of whatever reason. We do know about a couple of like she did definitely got proposed to once Mm -hmm. and turned them down. And she might have had an almost engagement to somebody whose family took him off to Ireland because she wasn't good enough. And yeah, I've never really done a lot of deep dives on that because I'm like, we don't need to care about (laughs) (laughs) Jane Austen. Because I feel like everyone, that's all they ever focus on when it comes to Jane Austen. It's like, well, what was her love life since she's talking about love all the time? Yeah, so. I think she, in in terms of whether or not she had male friends or a lot of male friends i think she certainly seems to be somebody who recognizes and appreciates people no matter what their situation is so uh not everybody but intelligent people and funny people and people she could be friends with i don't i don't know that she would say you know i can only be friends with with women but if she is thrown into contact with with men and women then yeah be friends with both definitely i just feel like it's so easy to put her in a weird box in your head when you're reading her and be like she's so interested in female relationships and female friendships but I think she clearly also was had you know a lot of male friends and male interactions and she found the ridiculous and the good in both right I agree 
anyway, <laughs> I just thought I could just picture her being like talking to all the sailors and <laughs> <laughs> being able to like hold their attention and just very yeah, easy for I'm her. I'm pretty sure every time I picture her, she is surrounded by a bunch of people and they're all laughing and she's laughing. And <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> That's my imagination of Jane Austen. <laughs> okay. Should we go ahead and do the deep dive before the quiz? Sure. Or do, oh, actually, we probably should say our favorite parts from. Right, 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 right. No, let's do. Okay, yeah, let's do just do our favorite parts <laughs> from this section. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, I think mine is the letter writing scene because mm. uh, my favorite last episode was the concert where there's all these little like interactions between each other, like the little moments of speaking to each other and the looks across the room and just these like little moments that build up the tension between them. And it doesn't seem to ever even be relieved um, until we get her reading that letter when he's not even there. So I just, I just love that whole scene. And I just think that the letter is so romantic and (laughs) makes him so one of the, like the better heroes of her stories in my eyes. Yeah. It's only like a paragraph long, but it really turns around his entire character. Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) Do you have a favorite part, Kristen? I do. So for this section, the romantic parts are exquisite as always. Mm -hmm. I love those. But the part that really jumped out to me, the lines that really jumped out to me was at the very end of, for me, it's uh, chapter 11. So that's what, 23, I think for you guys, where Wentworth is talking about how he had been too proud to ask her again. And he he torpedoed his own happiness. Okay. Uh-huh. And he says, I have been used to the gratification of believing myself to earn every blessing that I enjoyed. I have valued myself on honorable toils and just rewards. And that really, I think, jumped out at me because, I mean, if we're going to talk about the book as a whole, we'll maybe get into this as well. But so much of this book is is about earning. What do you earn? What are you you know, what is worthwhile in life? What are your values? Did Walter Elliott earn his, what he thinks is his rights? And here's uh, Frederick saying, I always figured I earned all the good stuff in my life. And yet clearly he's not earned everything. (laughs) By which I mean, I mean, he, I think that we have a a habit sometimes, especially let's say, especially in American culture. Uh, We have a habit sometimes of thinking I have this, I earned it. It's mine and I'm a good person because I earned it. And I think that Wentworth is here expressing something that's true, which is that no matter how hard you work, you don't necessarily earn everything for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, there's tons of people around you that help you. You, you are blessed by fortune or, you know, you know, we all come into different situations. Yeah. Circumstances. We all come into different circumstances and, Sometimes you can work super hard and not get anywhere. And so I, that's what jumped out at me this time. I was like, oh, look at that being talked about 200 years ago. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's kind of like what Lady Russell sees in him when she first doesn't like him went back when he's 21 or whatever. <laughs> she sees that kind of attitude of, you know, I deserve or, you know, I, I get what I work for, you know, if, that kind of at that time he was more like I will go out and do these things and mm-hmm. yeah yeah that that somehow he can make his 
he can do what he wants and everything will work out the way that he expects it to. Yeah. Which mostly us actually worked for him, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just luck. Yeah. I definitely. mean, Admiral Croft says he's lucky. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I wish we had had more in this. I would like a little more Mr. Elliot faces the consequence of his. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really get to see even him being disappointed that Anne found another or, you know, that he's not going to get her in the end. I wish there had been a little bit more of that. And, you know, I mean, I always wish that there's more at the end of the wrapping up of like, I want to see the Crofts more. I want to see mm. how they react to it. <laughs> we pretty much only get Mary <laughs> and the family. Right. But, of course, the letter is amazing. I mean, I wrote the whole dang thing in the notes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the just him knowing with the look and even it's barely even written you know it's just like she looks at him and then he joins the party and it's not like she looks at him and he knows the look that you said it's just like she has a little bit of a blush and he's like okay (laughs) we're good (laughs) unspoken yeah yeah i also kind of like Anne really wanting to tell lady russell about mr elliot and as soon as Wentworth comes into the picture, she's like, oh, yeah, Mr. Elliot's not important. <laughs> I'll tell her eventually, but it's not as important as I thought it was a day ago. And, of course, I like all the upper cross people coming to Bath and just making Bath so much merrier for Anne in general. And I bet she'll have a lot more happy memories of Bath now. <laughs> yeah. That's where everything yeah. fell into place for her. Even though I anticipate them moving to Lyme, or maybe they would move to a small house in the Kellidge area, wherever the Crofts are. I could see that. Unless... Just as Anne wanted at the very beginning, <laughs> a small house in the neighborhood. Something private. <laughs> and do you think that when he inevitably has to go off to war again, do you think she'll go with him on the boat? No, that scene is so good in the movie. <laughs> I did. I think Anne would be seasick, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I did. But she's got people on land now that are her yeah. friends. That That's true. Too, so. I did. I did have uh, think about that at the end, and I could see her going if the Crofts are kind of around the same area as her. Like if she has Mrs. Croft to rely on. Do you think the Admiral will go back out? I feel like he's kind of retired with his gout and all, but. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know how long a admiral would continue to command. I think with... Would you have your own ship at that point? Or would you just be like, all my captains, come to me and let me tell you what to do. <laughs> I think we would probably, an admiral commands like an entire fleet, probably. Um, yeah. So I, it's probably a little bit easier on the sea because you don't necessarily have to be like standing or running. So maybe. I don't know anything maybe. about the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we come from a navy town. <laughs> so, yeah, I know zero. <laughs> All right, well, should we go ahead and do the quiz? Sure. Yeah. Quizzes are always exciting. <laughs> no, I'm glad whenever I can find one for the adaptations because some of them don't have any. Yeah. Then you have to answer. Which flavor of marshmallow am I, according, if I was answering this as Elizabeth? <laughs> <Right. laughs> 
all the tests. <laughs> ah. It's cool because we've definitely done which female character are you, but I don't know that we've ever done a which male character are you. Yeah. I don't think so. We've only ever had a group together or just the heroines. But at least there are some good male characters in this, like Charles Musgrove and Menworth. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we won't get so early. Right. But. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Yes. All right. So the quiz is from Jane Austen's Persuasion, which male character are you? So for question one, how do you declare your feelings to the woman you love? Write a short impassioned letter. I declare my feelings eloquently with the deportment befitting of a gentleman. The appearance of love is easy to feign. Reluctantly tear my eyes away from my reflection in the mirror and mumble the words to her with an arrogant smirk. I read her an intense- I know who that is. (laughs) I read her an intense romantic poem. My love is in everything I do with her and for her. We're always together. Hmm. I feel like for me, I'm. Just... It's so hard not to be like, this is the man. <laughs> I mean, like, I know yeah, which as the man character. Talking about. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm going to say write a short, impassioned letter. I'm going to say, my love is in everything I do with her and for her. We're always together. <laughs> <laughs> that one's mine too. Okay. All right. Question two What is your favorite book? Something that my beloved and I can read aloud together in our cabin aboard ship? <laughs> I don't read much of anything. One doesn't need to be intelligent to be a gentleman. <laughs> no, that is. The Baronetcy, of course, a book that contains all the information about my illustrious family. Anything with substance and depth. Anything with poetry, preferably by Byron or Walter Scott. Um, I'm going to say anything with poetry. Okay. I'm going to say something that my beloved and I can read aloud together in our cabin aboard ship because I'm thinking (laughs) trashy novel. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, I want to be on a ship. Yes. Well, I feel like I should say poetry. Yeah, well, that'd be fun. I feel like I should say poetry, but I don't like Byron (laughs) or Scott. So (laughs) uh, I'm going to go with anything with substance and depth. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. All right. Question three. What trouble with women have you had lately? <laughs> the woman I want. Oh my god, have we done this? I don't think so. There's one of the answers that I swear <laughs> has been answered in another question. <laughs> the the woman I want isn't responding to my attentions. The woman I love passed away. I am all alone, all anguished, and all alone. Nothing recently, but there was this one time where I left my love behind when I was on a trip. I missed her so much and she was so worried about me. I never made that mistake again. I'm fine, just fine. I mean, the last time I had trouble with women was eight years ago, but I've forgotten her. I assure you I have. I don't care a bit about her, not one bit. Oh no. I suspect I am the target of a scheming widow, but I do so like her company. I swear I've answered that on a quiz. <laughs> I feel like we have. Oh gosh. Um... I think I'm going to say, I'm fine, just fine. I mean, the last time I had trouble with women was eight years ago, but I've forgotten her. I assure you I have. I don't care a bit about her, not one bit. <laughs> I'm going to say that I suspect I'm the target of a scheming widow. <laughs> uh, I don't know. How about the woman I want isn't responding to my attentions? That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Question four. You arrive at a large hall full of wealthy people and other highly ranked individuals. What do you do? 
I am polite to everyone and tell everyone exactly what they wish to hear. It's the only way to get anywhere. Be my usual easygoing and amiable self. Be seen with the most illustrious circle of people and hope they don't realize that I'm short on money at the moment. Such company is usually disappointing. You stand to the side and keep an eye out for the woman you love. Brood quietly in the corner and stare at everyone with tired eyes. <laughs> uh, oh, that one's easy. That's brood quietly in the corner and stare at everyone with tired eyes. That's exactly what I was going to pick. I'm going to say such company is usually disappointing. You stand to the side and keep an eye out for the woman you love. <laughs> Question five. A high-spirited young lady has gotten carried away and injures herself. What goes through your mind? I, I decide to consult with my beloved about what to do. We have gotten through so many perils together. Storms, pirates, starvation. She is full of invaluable <laughs> advice. Yeah, this all sounds so funny. <laughs> was there a Sanditon quiz with these same answers? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Will she die? Why must tragedy always befall young women? <laughs> of what rank is this young woman? Is she connected to any illustrious family? It's my fault. Rather than spending time with the person whose company I truly desire, I have been encouraging this young lady in all her bold behaviors. It's my fault. I failed and made a costly mistake. I correctly maintain the appearance of sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, will she die? Why must tragedy always befall young women? I'm having such deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, Kristen? Oh, I'm going to go with the guilt one. It's my fault. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> I'm going to say, I decided to consult with my beloved about what to do. We've gone through so many perils together. Storms, pirates, starvation. She's full of invaluable advice. <laughs> I love when pirates show up in a quiz answer. <laughs> Question six. What do you love about the sea? I'm a little bitter towards the sea right now. It took me away from my beloved who now isn't with us anymore. You can say many eloquent things about the sea in company and come across as a man of deep feeling. Why nothing, of course. It's such a rough and elegant place. The sea is beautiful and deep, like an ideal woman. It's a good refuge, too, from troubles and heartache on land. The camaraderie aboard ship, how I could take my beloved anywhere and experience so many sights and new locations with her. I'm going to say, why nothing, of course. It's such a rough and elegant place. Because <laughs> the sea is scary. What do you want to pick, Kristen? I'm deciding between two. So. Well, I'm going to go with, yeah. I'm going to go with the one that says the camaraderie aboard ship, but not because of that. I'm going to pick that one because of the part where it says how I can take my beloved anywhere and experience so many sites and new locations with her. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I think since you said that one, I will say the sea is beautiful and deep like an ideal woman. <laughs> it's a good refuge too from troubles and heartache on land. <laughs> also a good one. Question seven. You step into a room. What do people immediately notice about you? The fine material of my clothing, the careful arrangement of my hair, <laughs> my shy mannerisms, my commanding physical stature and firm stride, my correct posture and carefully schooled expression, my gently smiling face. Um, I guess my gently smiling face because none of these other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say my shy mannerisms. Oh, okay. Well, if you're going to say you guys took both oh, of those, sorry. so I'll <laughs> go with, um, that's okay. I'll go with my correct posture and carefully schooled expression. <laughs> Question. We can oh. pick the same things if you, if you want. I know. 
We've already done it a couple yeah. of times. That's true. <laughs> Question eight. You wish to take a woman on a carriage ride. How do you go about doing it? My beloved sits right next to me and helps me steer it. I recite a poem about carriages and hope that will entice her to join me. I gallantly assist my beloved onto the vehicle. I ask her politely, and if she refuses, I continue to follow her around and monopolize her company. <laughs> I select the most lavish and plush carriage and have a servant drive it for us. <laughs> this feel I swear, was this an, I don't, an Orling or Abbey quiz? Or I something? don't recognize so these. Familiar. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Oh, yeah, because I, I feel like I, this is the same thing I answered last time. I, I recite a poem about carriages and hope that will <laughs> entice her to join me. Um, I picked my beloved sits right next to me and helps me steer it. Uh, I went with, I gallantly assist my beloved into the carriage. Question nine. What is your ambition? To be universally respected for my appearance, my status, my wealth. I'm very content with where I'm at in life. To be heir to a titled estate, to find a woman who can, whom I can fall in quickly and violently in love with, to correct my foolish mistakes and win back the woman I've loved for so very long. Should I pick the fun one or the real one? <laughs> <laughs> pick the fun one. <laughs> okay, well then I'm going to say to be heir to a titled estate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say I'm very content. But honestly, I'm content. <laughs> yes, what I'm going with. I'm very content. <laughs> But I'll throw a little William Elliot into the mix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll go with I'm very content as well. <laughs> you don't want to find a woman who can fall quickly and violently in love with? <laughs> I did consider it. I, I will admit I did consider it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. What characteristics do you admire in a woman? Appearance is not of the essence. I admire firmness, intelligent, strong principles, gentle humor, and tender warm heartedness. That she is enthusiastic about poetry and is a spirited romantic at heart. She mustn't look like an ill-kempt hag. I want her beautiful, proud of her appearance <laughs> and of noble stature. Wow. Just look at the woman who was always at my side. She is everything I could ever want. The family that woman happens to belong to. And if she's amiable and behaves gently and properly, so much the better. Good Lord. I guess appearance is not of the essence. I admire firmness, intelligence, strong principles, gentle humor, and tender warm-heartedness. <laughs> I'm going to say... I'll go with enthusiastic about poetry, spirited romantic at heart. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm going to go with just look at the woman who is always at my side. All right. All right. Test results. Calculating results. Oh. Oh. This is a weird one. This is one of those 40 percenters. <laughs> so weird. Should we just... I got two 40%. Should we just read off like our quote unquote just the percentages and whatever's the highest, just read your description? Yes, that sounds good. Okay. Because my score was not clear. Yeah, uh, me neither. <laughs> okay. So for 40%, I'm Captain Benick. That's my highest. You are a shy, mournful, poetry-loving young man who gives away his heart swiftly <laughs> and with wild, not always rational emotion. Cherish what happens... <laughs> what happiness you can find in life. And then I'm also 30% Admiral Croft, 20% Sir Walter Elliot, um, and 10% Captain Wentworth. Oh. So not too bad. <laughs> what would you get, Kristen? Well, my two highest were 30% Admiral Croft and 30% Captain Wentworth. So I will read Admiral Croft. Okay. 
amiable, companionable, a well-mannered, fine man who is respected everywhere. You are a model husband as well. <laughs> you treat your wife as an equal partner and feel deeply affectionate and respectful of her. What was your other 40%? 20% Benick and 20% William Elliot. Okay. 0% Walter. <laughs> <laughs> I got 40% Admiral Croft, 40% Wentworth, 10% Benick, and 10% William Elliot, 0% Sir Walter. Which I could have sworn I answered one for Sir Walter, but <laughs> his was more William Elliot. <laughs> but nobody read Wentworth yet since I'm right. 40% him. I'll read him. You're a figure who commands respect, an independent, hardworking, clever, and firm individual. You secretly hide a sensitive heart, however, and you must learn to acknowledge your true feelings openly and overcome any hurt you may be feeling. Profile B. <laughs> <laughs> These quizzes. They're always just a little too spot on. <laughs> that is so crazy. I swear we've done... I'll have to go back. Well, I'm not going to go back, but <laughs> if you guys are listening back to like, a, uh, like maybe the persuasion, was it a persuasion? I feel like it was a quiz, but for a different book. <laughs> it might've been like a similar quiz for like Northanger Abbey or something. It does. It felt like a Northanger Abbey quiz. I feel like Josh was there when we took that quiz. I don't maybe. know. <laughs> We've taken so many quizzes. <laughs> I know. Well, we're ready for the deep dive? Yes. Yes. I realize I never did Wentworth. I still have never done Wentworth because I guess he just never really becomes like the main focus of any of the sections we were doing until this one. And I was like, well, I am asked to be this one. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe our next adaptation we'll do well, Wentworth. But I did do Anne. Okay. So she is both the main character in Persuasion and the secondary narrator. Only her view of events are available to the reader, basically. None of the heroines of the prior novels are as visible, are as visibly the center of convergence of the action and the main point of view, since the narrator does not openly pull the strings of the plot and avoids directing irony at Anne. On the contrary, it is she who perceives the events and the people with much finesse, a keen sense of observation and analysis. And most of the time it is from her that the reader learns the details of the plot. It is on her alone to whom the author gives complete freedom to express her feelings and her unwavering commitment to Wentworth that the resolution ultimately depends. Okay, and so from an article called Almost Too Good For Me, The Seasoning of Anne Elliot's Idealism by Esther Moon, Anne habitually composes her thoughts and emotions with a consciousness that reveals her self-knowledge and self-control. Something we've been talking about her a lot. This ability to control her thoughts and emotions is a great strength of Anne's and goes hand in hand with her idealism. However, readers should be aware of the way that Anne clothes her narrative. At the end of the novel, when Anne justifies taking Lady Russell's advice as fulfilling her duty, it seems that she still cannot openly acknowledge her self-interested motives for breaking her engagement. Despite her nod to the limitations of human nature, Anne is still simplifying her past motivations in order to have nothing to reproach herself with. Indeed, barely two pages before, when Anne accepted Wentworth's second proposal, she said, "'When I yielded to Lady Russell's persuasion, I thought it was to duty.'" 
another qualification that allows for some suspicion on Anne's part that she might not have been acting out of duty. Hmm. So I just thought that was interesting. Like, you know, we were even talking about that moment, but like, <laughs> you know, she's like, I think I was right in doing it, but just two pages before she was like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't, so she is kind of an unreliable narrator, you know, you can't really, she, cause she is the narrator. She's not the narrator, but we only really see things from her point of view. So. Right. I think it's just uh, with that also, it's, I think she's still deciding on whether it was a good choice to make that decision back then. Um, I think she's still having that battle within her. Like, was it worth it? Yeah, definitely. It goes on to say, the nuances of Austin's picture reveal a much more human Anne, endearing her her very flaws of whom I can see Austin saying with a smile, she is human after all, not a picture of perfection. And Anne's errors and struggles to overcome them are enriching, not only because they lead her to realize more fully her best self, but also because they lead the reader to realize that Anne's beauty of character and clarity of vision are attainable. So I like that. You know, she's not perfect. She's not written as perfect. She definitely changes her mind, but that actually makes her seem more like something that we could actually aspire to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because she's not so perfect. Okay, and for classification, I have Anne, of course. Well, not of course. (laughs) She's the only non-Leo in the book. But uh, (laughs) I have a couple of Earth signs to choose from for her. First, Virgo. Virgos generally like to be background players, supporting those around them, creating an orderly world, following the rules, all while avoiding the spotlight. If that, oh, yeah, okay. Now that I'm remembering, I got these from lists of like Austin characters by Zodiac sign. So I found two different ones that classified Anne. The first one is Virgo. So if that doesn't describe long-suffering, self-sacrificing, and unfailingly kind Anne Elliot, I don't know what does. (laughs) Anne might be one of the more boring Austin heroines, quietly listening to the exciting antics of her friends, family, and ex-fiancé. But if you need someone to manage the scene of unfortunate stair jumping accident, watch a sick child, <laughs> or remain steadfastly loyal for nearly a decade, Anne's your girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Capricorn. Like their fellow Earth sign Taurus, Capricorns are responsible with excellent manners and self-control. Unfortunately, their propensity for propite <laughs> propensity for propite. <laughs> <laughs> propensity for propriety gets them in trouble as they can sometimes be perceived as controlling when anne calls off her engagement to captain wentworth she believes at the time that it's the best decision due to her capricorn nature she'd rather live unhappily than admit she was wrong (laughs) fortunately anne gets another chance to see that she's made a mistake and gets out of her own way just in time well gosh i think that's a real misreading of anne yeah (laughs) so i was thinking (laughs) i'm gonna have to go with uh, virgo on this one (laughs) yeah i agree I don't think she'd rather live unhappily than admit she was wrong. I mean, I think she admits she's wrong from the beginning and would definitely rather not live unhappily. (laughs) (laughs) She shows a lot of regret, so. Yeah. Okay, and then I just have her as a neutral good. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was thinking more lawful good. Because she's still sort of tied to those social like requirements in a way of like respecting her her father and her family and Lady Russell and Yeah, but she doesn't care about the society's expectations. That's true. And she doesn't even really care. I mean, she did when she was 19, but it doesn't seem like now she really cares. That's true. I I like my neutral good. <laughs> I always feel like I'm trying to talk you out of what you're saying. No. <laughs> I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, because we said Mary and Sir Walter were on the lawful spectrum because they're so, like, into that. But I kind of feel like Anne isn't as into societal structures. That's true. I mean, she wants to be, she wants to do what's right as her duty to her parents, Mm -hmm. but doesn't feel like she wants to do it because society expects that or because she's from a certain place Mm -hmm. you know like i have to stay in the rich category or right i don't know what i'm saying (laughs) no i agree i agree i like that it makes more sense to me cool what do you think Kristen? i think that Anne cares about society's values when she sees morality in them she doesn't care about rank and class in and of themselves whereas like sir walter really really cares about rank and class but could care less about the moral duty assigned to that class. Right. Right. So like when they left Kellynch Hall, Anne is the one who made the visits to all the people in the neighborhood. And she's the one who cared about what their, their tenants needed and, and was glad that the crops were coming because they were going to take better care of the tenants. So I don't know where that comes down on lawful (laughs) because it's (laughs) like, she's like, she cares about, established societal norms if they have value that she can see yeah but she doesn't care about rank so well, the, i definitely the think there's some for... neutral in her <laughs> yeah i think and i would say she's definitely good in general so. yeah <laughs> well, maybe it comes across <laughs> yeah it's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> all right then final thoughts uh, i don't even know if i can wrap up my final thoughts i feel like <laughs> I've said so many random things. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just glad that we got to read this book right after Northanger Abbey. And especially finding out that they were packaged together. It just, it was such an easy transition. And I don't know, it just, it, this book surprised me. I, yeah, it's like, it just felt different from the adaptation in a way where it, the book seems to have more emotion and it seems to have, you know, and that, the book is obviously going to have more complexity with the characters, but I just feel like the characters, you just get to know way more intimately for most of them. And it's just an overall, like yeah. a good experience wrapped up in like a depressing tale from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say that this time reading through, I found normally when I watch the adaptations, especially the one we watched already, I think. Anne is so overdramatic in these adaptations. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not really that overdramatic as a character, even though she, there's a lot of stuff going on inside of her. And I can see why you would want to like show that with her crying to herself all the time. But 
this time I started to feel like maybe she was a lot more dramatic than in the past when I read the book. I don't know if it was just a difference between the audiobook and, you know, the way I was reading it this time and noticing all the exclamation points <laughs> or what. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I was really into Anne being a sleuth <laughs> and reading everyone's body language really well, even though she's not that great at interpreting it towards herself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I found a lot more depth in it this time than I have before. Like just a lot going on under the surface that... <sighs> may or may not even be there some of it you know it's like am i making this up is this really (laughs) in there because there's a lot that jane Austen she uses an economy of words i would say (laughs) she's really good at saying as much as possible with as few words so and it always surprises me when i read a jane austen book i'm like it's only like 200 pages (laughs) right (laughs) how is it so short everyone's like oh it's so long classics I mean, not everyone, but, you know, when you're in high school and you're thinking about reading classic literature, it's like, oh, God, it's going to be long and boring. But it's short <laughs> and it's not boring. <laughs> no. And I had a lot of fun reading it with you guys. <laughs> Me too. What about you, Kristen? So this time through, normally when I read it, what, I, you know, what, what I've said before and what's generally true, especially with this book, is the sort of psychological realism that I, I recognize. I'm like, oh, I, I recognize that. I recognize it. It's so realistic. And normally that's how I read it. And that's one of the reasons I love it so much. But this time what I was really noticing more is more of a, a thematic thing in that Anne kind of moves between two worlds. So she's got the world she came from and then she's got the world that she ends up choosing in the end. And it just seems like the world she came from is really dying in a lot of ways. There's no psychological growth. There's no children, hardly. There's no money. They've spent all the money. There's no respect. There's, it's like a dead end for the Elliots. They don't even have the um, land anymore, really. I mean, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so... They, they're just like a dead end. And then the world that she chooses is just full of so much life, friendship, kids, laughter, noise, <laughs> just all this stuff going on, you know, excitement and adventure and the, and the thing. And the values of that, of that world that she chooses are the values that really, I think, have been sort of cultural values in a pretty deep way for, for a while now, you know, you, you work hard, you, you rise on your own merit, not because of what your name is. You, at least the, the values that we like to think that mm-hmm. we, we do, right? So you rise on your own merit. You, you know, you take care of your friends, you choose your own family if you need to, you know, we take care of one another. And so those are the values that, that Anne chooses and that uh, we still, I think, find attractive a lot of ways. And, And it just really struck me about how they're kind of leaving behind this really static dead end. It's all about your place in society and moving toward this more flexible, life-giving place. And that Anne, the fact that she's able to choose that or that she, like you said, Maya, she has agency. She does choose that in the book, I think is just really lovely, just really good to read, encouraging. 
encouraging, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you put yourself in Anne's shoes and you're like, you know what? I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose taking care of my friends. I'm going to choose being the best person I can be to live the best life I can live in. Yeah. So I, I liked, that's where I got this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When you were just talking about like how, you know, times are changing and different values, it made me for some reason think of Downton Abbey, <laughs> like, uh, you know, kind of, kind of similar, mm-hmm. you know, times changing, having to choose different values. And it's kind of funny because oh, Downton Abbey is what, like the early 1900s and it's the early 1800s and it's yet yeah, very kind of a similar feeling in certain ways for like the messages. And I just made me think, I wonder if that's just like a perennial always happening. <laughs> like even today, we're probably like, which values do we choose societal or, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I think we do see that played out, you mm-hmm. know, every day people yeah. wanting to hold on to values that have been around for a while and people embracing new values. And yeah. So Yet another reason why good to read the classics. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you realize yeah. we've had this conversation for hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, and I, I am also glad that we did Northanger Abbey and then this one, even though, you know, it's been a year in between, but it feels like, I mean, it was the last book we read for the podcast mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. But just to see, like, what she was writing at the very, very beginning of her career and what she was writing at the very, very end of her uh, life and... You know, just in certain ways, like, I mean, Northanger Abbey really shows off. Oh, I mean, that one's very, they're both very different, I would say, from, you know, not that any of them are the same. Even like Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility, which have very similar titles and were released around the same time, are feel like very different books, even though I would say they're the most similar out of any of them. Just because it's like, sisters looking for love, but the story is quite different in those. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's very easy to think of Jane Austen as always being the same kind of stories. It's always about who you're going to marry, but it's like totally different way of telling all the stories. Yeah. (laughs) I think what I've kind of noticed as like um, a through line through all of Jane Austen's work is that a lot of the time she's writing about, I guess what you could, what freedom means to her heroines. And you have, in most of her stories, what freedom means to those women is, you know, finding a happy life where they can marry and, you know, have a happy family and be comfortable and kind of carve their own path in a way that they can. And what I feel like is so, what I really love about Persuasion is it's kind of like the idea of freedom that she's come to towards the end of her life is the ability to have agency and to choose exactly what you want. Because Anne doesn't necessarily have a different path than most of the heroines in that she ends up marrying the person she loves and goes off to live her life. But it's the journey I think she takes there is full of choices that she makes. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the ending is the choice that she makes. And so it's like the ability to have choice for a woman was, you know, very radical for this book, I would say. Yeah. And like I said last episode, when this book was released, so like a lot of people thought the themes of it were so radical because all the people who were in the 
and the nobility in this book are kind of like fools almost in a way and all the great people are not part of the nobility so yeah and it takes her like eight years to really finally make that choice Mm -hmm. but once she does and is like sure about herself she doesn't care at all about the repercussions of it she's just like none of you people matter (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is just it's yeah it's really interesting I love this book. Me too. (laughs) (sighs) Well, should we go ahead and do our recommendations then? Sure. Do you have one or do you want me to go first or? Yeah, you go first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm going to be recommending a TV show I just found called Travel Man. And it is hosted by Richard Ayoade, British comedian. I've heard of it. Yeah. Who also did um, Gadget Man. I think that's kind of like what he's famous for, but it's... The IT crowd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've seen the IT crowd? Yeah. And he, every episode will go to a city and will kind of explore the high end and low end parts of it and make, you know, hilarious jokes and he'll bring comedians on with him. I think the first comedian that he brings on with him in the first episode is from like the Abfab days and from French and Saunders. And it's just, it's, <laughs> he is so funny to me and he's got such a very unique brand of comedy and it's just, he's just like a, kind of like an idiot in the best way. And I just, <laughs> I just found this show and it has like, I can't like six, no, it has nine seasons. <laughs> Because they only do about like wow, four ooh. episodes, four or five episodes each season. Oh, okay. But it's just such a great watch. And I really love it. I think it's on Amazon, but I'm not sure. I think it's on Prime. But it's on one of the streaming <laughs> services. And it's just a lot of fun. Say the name one more time. Uh, Travel Man. Okay, cool. I'm just going to recommend a book. And I'm mainly recommending it because it was the book I've read most recently that made me like it's the first book I've read in a long time that I just kept reading you know and not put it aside and forget about it for a long time and it actually made me want to read the next one and the next one and I mean it's like right up my personal alley (laughs) it's called The Vine Witch and it's by Luann G. Smith and there's actually a couple there's like a trilogy they all kind of follow a different character but it starts off with this character who's been turned into a frog and she's basically turning herself or over the course of like 10 years of being a frog she manages to break the spell and so she's going back to find her life because she was Hmm. it's like in france and she's there's all sorts of different kinds of magic witches and she's a vine witch for wine and it's just a really it's it's just the kind of book that i love it's so easy to read Mm -hmm. and it's fun adventure magical stuff which is always my favorite (laughs) give me a little bit of fantasy and every single thing i read and i'll be happy (laughs) (laughs) except for jane austen i'm fine with that (laughs) (laughs) yeah as anyway the i think the second one was maybe called the glamorist or something but there's three of them but i would start with the vine witch obviously (laughs) if you were at all interested so luann g smith the vine witch (laughs) that's interesting what have you got, Kristen? So I haven't really finished much lately. <laughs> I've been doing lots of other stuff. But <laughs> so 
I'll, I'll just recommend the thing that I'm farthest along in at the <laughs> moment. And that is a show on Netflix called Kid Cosmic. Mm-hmm. Heard of this one? No. No? Okay. So it's an animated show, and it was created by Craig McCracken, who was one of the creators of the Powerpuff Girls, like originally, <laughs> which is one of my yes. favorite ever, oh, <laughs> favorite no, shows no. ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of got a similar feel in terms of uh, look. So it kind of looks similar, and the humor is similar. <laughs> but so far, what's happened is it takes place in this sort of desert town somewhere in the Southwest, little tiny desert town. And this uh, boy who is obsessed with superhero comics finds, actually finds what are, I mean, they basically look like the infinity stones (laughs) from Marvel. It's like five or six different colored rocks and they all grant you a specific power. It's the way it works. So he's really just playing, but then he actually finds some real ones. And so he, he takes one, well, he takes them all, but he, he's, like takes one and then his superpower becomes basically to fly. And so various, you know, misfits, friends of his, a three-year-old and like his crazy grandpa and everything also end up and a cat <laughs> end up with different stones and they have to form a super team to defeat uh, <laughs> oh, aliens who are coming after. So anyway, it's, it's really funny. It's pretty goofy. And like I said, I loved the Powerpuff Girls. So even though it's a completely different story, it's got a lot of the same feel about it. So it's been a lot of fun. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're only about three or four episodes in. So we haven't Did you say it was to... on Netflix or Amazon? It's on Netflix. Oh, okay. Let me double check, but I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, Netflix. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, I, I always like to have like one of those like 30 minute easy to watch shows when I'm just like I gotta kill some time normally it's Hilda but I've already watched yeah. Hilda like a million times so <laughs> I should totally check out a new one <laughs> okay well gosh I can't believe it we got through the whole book it's crazy it was it was a really because I went into this being like well Persuasion's never been my favorite book and I really <laughs> enjoyed it it's not like I didn't like Persuasion it just was never my favorite and you know how I love everything that I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> and I just really did enjoy like breaking it down and really getting to see like all the little nuances that I hadn't seen before. And it was so great to have you with us again, Kristen. Thank you yes. so much for coming back. <laughs> it was so good. I can't wait to hear what you guys said on the episodes I wasn't on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was <laughs> sad that we couldn't be there for all of them, but yeah, it was definitely fun to do it in a like a, such a condensed timeline too because Northanger Abbey, well, I really did enjoy. I mean, it was great for the timing when we were like in, <laughs> just starting quarantine and everything and that way every week we had a new thing to look at. But yeah, there's something to be said for being able to look at the whole book in context with itself. So right. yeah, I definitely enjoyed that. Hopefully we didn't spoil anything for anybody who might have just... <laughs> been reading along like a Twin Peaks person who was like I'm gonna finally read this book <laughs> but again there's nothing that shocking that happens no I mean, you can pretty much expect that Anne and Wentworth are gonna get together <laughs> right. <again>, so <laughs> it would be shocking if they didn't it would be depressing if they didn't right Very. <laughs> yeah yeah this book seems like it's ripe for people to write sequels you know other characters perspectives mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> 
yeah. some slash fic maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you guys want to write to us about anything we talked about during persuasion or you know, or anything that you thought of when we were talking about it, we would love to hear from you. We probably have a check-in coming up in a couple weeks, so it would be a great time to write in and let us know your thoughts on the book and our coverage of it. <laughs> yes, yes. You can email us at mannersandmadness at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersandmadnesspod. Or you can leave a one-minute voicemail on our website at mannersandmadness.com. Yes. And there's also a little donate button on mannersmadness.com if you would like to donate to our equipment fund. <laughs> yes, much appreciated. <laughs> Hopefully by the time this goes out, we will have gotten the equipment. <laughs> so, but we'll, we'll still be paying it off. <laughs> and am I forgetting something? I say this every single time. I don't think so. And I always feel like I'm forgetting something. <laughs> I don't think so. What if we have uh, okay. Twin Peaks episode eight, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, next week we'll do Twin Peaks episode eight. And that'll be probably the end of our Twin Peaks season two section for a little while. Although I was trying to think of what we're going to do next. And it's possible we could keep going for a little while with the Twin Peaks season two, just because it is a good stopping place, but it's also a place where you're like, I want more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Maybe we'll leave it up to Christian on that one. But. Yeah, come back next week for the big episode eight, season two, Twin Peaks. And then we'll come back with a check-in yeah. and tell you what's coming next. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> After a little break for us. <sighs> Can't wait. <laughs> well, I guess that's everything. So again, thank you so much, Kristen. <laughs> it was super and fun. We'll see you next week. All right. Thanks Goodbye. for listening. Bye. Bye.